0: Everyone, welcome to the Felicity Optimist versus Cynic podcast with us, your hosts, Melissa and Fish. This is a Felicity rewatch podcast. We'll watch an episode each week and join you here to talk about it. Just a quick reminder we are not a spoiler free podcast, so we may share some things as we're talking about this episode that happen in future episodes of Felicity. Uh, So just beware. One other thing that we do want to point out is that this is part two of a two-part episode that deals with sexual assault, and this episode in particular is heavily involved in the aftermath, so we wanted to give a trigger warning for that, for those who uh, who wanted to beware of content like that. Uh, and we also want you to know that if you need a resource, if you're somebody who's experiencing or know somebody who's experiencing sexual assault in their lives or any other sort of abuse, we have a resource that we wanted to share with you. It's Rain. You can find them at www.rain.org, And they also have a national sexual assault hotline, one 800 656 7-3. We'll give that again at the end of the episode as this will be, uh, like I said, a podcast that deals a lot with this subject matter. Uh, having said all that, who am I? I'm Melissa and I'm here with my wonderful co-host Fish. So Fish, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. This is definitely a deeper podcast, deeper episode to get into. So just, yeah, looking forward to our discussion about it.
0: Yeah, you know, in in recent podcasts, we've been saying how there's like so many different things to talk about. We are in our notes so filled with all these different topics. I think for this one, they really kind of settled in on a couple things and and dove a lot deeper into them. So I think that'll allow us to do the same. This episode was from season one, episode eight. It was called Drawing the Line, part two. Again, a two-part episode. Last time we we saw Drawing the Line, part one. This one originally aired November 17th, 1998, written by Riley Weston with the director, Joan Tewksbury. And the description is Felicity urges Julie to report the date rape and get counseling, but Julie thinks she caused the incident. Meanwhile, a prospective student visits. Now, you know, Fish, normally I would turn it straight over to you at this point, but we actually got some really good feedback from somebody who has experience with RAs. And I, I wanted to read that off first. It's, it's a, you know, a few paragraphs long, there's a bit here, but I think it is a good launching pad for us to talk about this topic. We heard from Kevin and he says, my general thoughts are that the storyline was handled well and showing realistic emotions and actions, but there are some things where it's way off base, of course. Since I work with RAs, I have to say that the RA showing up to the guy's dorm to threaten him about possibly sexually assaulting a student is absurd. There are some RAs who are so loving and caring of their residents that they do want to advocate for them no matter what. But no RA in my experience would run up to an alleged predator and say, you better not or I'm going to get fired in so many words. I assume the whole point of that in the show was to clue the boy in on the fact that his encounter with Julie was a much bigger deal than he thought it was and potentially a crime. But Julie meeting with university administrators, feeling a little hopeless about the help and justice she may get, navigating seeing the boy on campus again, and even conversations with her friends, that's a very real thing for victims. There's an element of victims gaining the power back afterward in the reporting process that is crucial and the show helps display what that looks like. The choice to seek out police help or not, to report to the university or not, they're very important. So if Julie confides that secret to Felicity or an RA, and they tell someone, even with great intentions, Julie as a victim feels that once again, something was taken from her. The whole time watching the two-parter was giving me flashbacks of some situations I've been a part of in my professional career. I haven't watched all of season one, but I got about nine episodes in and it was excellent to teach RAs. The sexual assault scene between Amy Jo Johnson and the boy, and what happened after with the victim, the assailant, the RA's intervention, Felicity's struggle with confidentiality, etc., is a master class in the dynamics involved in some of these situations as a university administrator. I'm thankful for the show in this regard, truthfully. It isn't all what we do today procedurally, but I can at least point to a realistic scenario and go, okay, so this is roughly how the student feels and how we respond will affect their experience now at the university majorly in a positive or negative way. Also, aside from us, this is what the people around that person are feeling, so remember that in our work. I'm so appreciative to Kevin for giving us that in-depth look at the experience from the university standpoint. Now I want to turn it over to you, Fish, because I've just been talking for a while here and sharing Kevin's thoughts. So where do you want to start? Where do you want to dig in?
1: Yeah. So I'm also extremely appreciative to Kevin for sharing that with us. And it's not to take away anything from his sharing or, or what he's provided here, but I do think language is very important. And I think that the way that we talk about sexual assault now is to make sure that we use the term survivor instead of victim. Throughout this, I I will be trying to use the word survivor instead of victim. But I do think that he he does give us a, a good sense of, all right, this is a realistic situation and people are reacting in the best way that they can. And so that's sort of the first thing that I keyed in on is just, we're all trying to do our best in a situation that is terrible. Mm -hmm. I just want to note that, you know, the show does try here to provide a little bit of humor, particularly around Noel attempting to grow facial hair Mm -hmm. and bringing a new student in. I do think for the most part, it it missed the mark, at least for me, because I, I just couldn't find humor or maybe the energy to find it humorous. But what I come back to here is, so this is Felicity's experience. It's her first experience, seemingly, where she's dealing with uh, someone who has been through sexual assault. And she and Noel are both doing their best They're trying to get help and advice from the people that, that they would go to, and they're looking to the RA handbook for how to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And maybe these are not the best resources. So I think that the first question that comes up, if you're talking to someone who's been through sexual assault is how do I support them in that moment? And I think that Felicity did a good job of just listening. And she also said it it was not Julie's fault and tried to reassure her. So all of that, I think, was really good. She encouraged her to seek medical attention. She does, I think, overstep a bit in trying to encourage the reporting and sort of throwing pamphlets at her. It's very Felicity to say, you know, I'm supposed to bring this up organically in conversation, but I don't know how. So I'm just going to tell you exactly what they told me and shove these pamphlets at you. Mm-hmm. So that's, mm, I did feel like she was, she was judging Julie a little bit, especially around reporting and sort of having these conversations with Noel saying, I don't know if she's going to do anything. and it. It seemed like her impulse was to try to force her to do something. Yeah. At one point, she does say, I'm not going to sit here while you do nothing.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking about that, too. And she was kind of angry at Julie when she said it. And I thought that was emotions are emotions. We feel them. Julie doesn't need that.
1: Yeah, she absolutely does not. And I wrote down, no, and underlined it. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. are going to sit there. And you're going to let her do whatever she feels is the right thing to do. So I sort of look at Noel and Felicity, who do not know what they're doing. And then we also have Daryl, who I think does not react well. We've got him, as Kevin shared, doing something that is very unlikely that an RA would do. But he does approach Zach and threaten him and get really mad. But you'll notice that Julie's well-being is not at all discussed there. He says, this threatens my job and my tuition and I'm responsible for you. It Nowhere in there does he actually talk about um, you assaulted someone and that's wrong and the effect on her. So I agree that that scene didn't seem... I, I mean, I didn't know whether it seemed real or not, but it certainly wasn't a helpful. Um, well, I
0: wrote in my notes, what's the point of this conversation? Because it seemed as though Daryl was saying, don't you do this again? Because mm-hmm. if the wrong person finds out, it'll reflect on me. And that felt like, oh, how, why are, Why is this conversation happening? Like, why was this the only way for Zach to find out? that Julie thought it was rape. So at some point, Zach had to find out that Julie thought it was rape. And this is how they chose to do it. But it's confusing to me because it really isn't taking into account the event that happened. For Daryl, it seems to be taking into account, like, don't you make this a habit? (laughs) It's like, oh, but it happened. So what's happening about it now? So I, I wasn't really sure what the purpose of that particular way of revealing this was because I think it just muddied the water for me.
1: Yeah. And it also didn't seem necessary because while Zach is walking around being all wide-eyed and shocked and all of this stuff, we hear Julie's account and we've seen her previously say she wants to go slow and she says it again and she has to detail it to the doctor where she says he was on top of me and I said no five times or more.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And when we see Zach's reaction in the end, he basically says, I know what I did. So I kind of feel like that wasn't necessary. I would have rather seen, I don't know, a different conversation you know, maybe between Felicity and Zach or someone getting mad at him and I don't know, a little less of the doe-eyed shock Mm -hmm. because it seemed pretty clear, at least from the information we were given, what had happened. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Yeah. I want to go back a minute here to Felicity and Noel and their reactions, because I know we've been talking about that a little bit. I don't put them in the same bucket on what they should have done here. Now, I don't know what the policies were for RAs back in 1998, but nowadays there is a legal requirement at most universities. I've just been kind of browsing around some different university websites, looking at their rules for RAs. RAs do not have a a confidentiality clause. It's not like going to a therapist If somebody confides an event like this, specifically a rape, I think anything in the category of sexual assault, and more broadly, if something could impact the safety of other students, I'm seeing a lot of language on university websites now that um, RAs are required by law to tell their supervisor. I mean, I guess that... That uh, specific label job title would be a little different from university to university. We don't know who Noel's supervisor is. Like, you know, there's obviously a number of different RAs within their dorm. I don't know if one of them is considered like the Uber RA, you know, who's like the leader of the whole group, or if it's somebody who's more at the administrative level. But whether or not this was the case in 1998, I don't know. But nowadays, you know, Noel's concern that what if this student did this to another student and I knew about it? I think there is something real. There's liability there for the RA. And, you know, why would somebody want, why would somebody take that on? So it's written in now where they legally do have to tell a supervisor. I don't know what happens after that, you know, where the buck stops in terms of passing this information along. So for me, Noel is in a different scenario. Once he has heard from Felicity that Julie was raped. He now is grappling with what his actual duties are as a resident advisor, knowing this information. Felicity is just a friend. She is not in any official capacity. She gets this information from Julie. And to me, she should have just kept with Julie about it and supported Julie. Um, It wasn't her job to talk to Noel. She could have found information from a variety of different sources. This is a TV show and they're trying to, to whatever degree they can, button up this storyline in the two episodes that they've given it. So there's some expediency required here. And so she goes, she goes to Noel because that's who she talked to. It's unfortunate that Noel is also the RA because now he has this obligation or maybe feels that he has this obligation, but I don't put them in the same category here. And I, you know, I know Felicity is just doing the best that she can in this scenario. And she's really grappling with a lot of things. She wants to help her friend. She wants to find resources for her. And she's also coming on really strong and overstepping in a a bunch of different ways. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think that in addition to having to deal with being assaulted and all of the Feelings that come with that, you just have to deal with so much more in the aftermath. You have to know what everyone's legal requirements are when you're talking to anyone. I mm-hmm. mean, you notice that the cops are there when she's talked to uh, a doctor. And she doesn't have to talk to the cops, but I think that the doctor, knowing what she was coming in for, probably did have to call the cops. I agree, and maybe it's a more recent thing, but I have a feeling even in the 90s that RAs were told that they have to report anything, you know, if they thought someone was suicidal or if they find out about sexual assault, that they would have to report that. So you have to be very careful when you're actually talking to people. You have to know who your friends are and what type of people they are and if they're going to say anything and who they're going to say it to. Mm -hmm. So in the example of Felicity and Noel, you know, Felicity can't keep a secret Mm -hmm. and you know, she always goes to Noel. So it's, I mean, it's a tough situation to be in and it's one of the reasons that I don't think again, Felicity is the right person Mm -hmm. to be dealing with this stuff. I think uh, as it becomes very clear later in the show that Ben is Mm -hmm. really the person who is prepared to support uh, Julie in this. And Noel not only not reporting it, but then going and telling another RA, I mean, you're actually creating a very dangerous situation for Julie because then Daryl goes to Zach threatens him, and what happens? Zach approaches Julie alone mm-hmm. in the laundry room and has a confrontation with her. I think Something they did that- a
0: great job with that scene. The tension of that scene felt palpable to me. I mean, Julie wants to be anywhere but there. You know, she's feeling the trauma all over again with him standing in front of her. There's nobody, you know, they're in the laundry room, which I would imagine is somewhat isolated. She's probably thinking that there's not anybody probably walking in and out of here anytime soon. And she doesn't have much to protect herself with. And, you know, Zach grabs her arm and you can just feel, you know, and he's really um, like a deer in headlights. He's just trying to protect himself however he can. And he's coming off as really threatening. Yeah. In a way, Julie also kind of holds her ground a little bit in that conversation, but she's, she just wants to get out of that room, you know, asking him to take his hand off of her arm, I think was a, was a brave moment and a bold moment. And she just needed to be out of there into a safer space. So, you know, that was the natural repercussion of this chain of events of people getting the word back to Zach, you know, and she had to deal with that. She, she, he was still on campus and she was going to see this guy. And didn't want to and doesn't you know shouldn't have to but that's that's what she's trying to grapple with if she comes out of her room she could see him
1: yeah and I like the way that they frame Julie in a lot of this whether she's in her room or that laundry room scene whether she's alone or not she's in darkness a lot of the time the laundry room there were no lights on her room not only are the lights off but she has her blinds mostly closed so there's just a lot of uh, of darkness and being isolated and alone and in kind of a scary place
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you can see it on her face a lot of the time she has these moments where when she first sees Zach she just has this stare she just sort of staring at him especially after they talk and he seems to think everything's fine or at least just pretending everything's fine and he goes over to talk to ben and she's just sort of staring at him i would guess without that much running through her head it's probably an emotional physical reaction and we see that a number of times i think we see it in the laundry room as well Where she'll kind of pause and either go back on things that she said, just basically, as you said, trying to get out of there. We see her grappling herself with this idea of whether it's her fault or not. You know, when she first goes to the doctor, she says, He wasn't violent. I didn't scream. You wouldn't call that rape, right? One thing that I really liked about how they shot this, and I don't think is actually as true, every person that she goes to see or that is talking about rape is a woman. The head of health services that she's talking to is a woman, and even the administrator who comes in to Zach towards the end is a woman. I think that does provide a bit more support than you might actually have. In a situation like this, especially if it's, say, uh, a smaller school or a more rural area where there aren't as many health professionals, and maybe you can't request a female doctor. So I think that was really good.
0: I think it's worth going back and just doing like a quick review of the steps Julie took in this episode as well, uh, because we haven't done that yet. And we've got Julie going to the hospital, Julie getting checked out. She's getting questions about the incident as well as getting checked out. She acknowledges pretty much the chain of events that happened. She acknowledges that there was alcohol involved, which is an important question that gets asked and will have a lot to do with options later. Julie is actually able to say quite a lot in that setting. I don't know if that's, you know, the experience everybody would have. It's a TV show and they're trying to get a lot of information out there. So, you know, it comes across as, you know, Julie is able to open up quite a bit to this doctor. And she sort of mentions, well, she just mentions the whole chain of events of the night. There are things I want to get into about that, but let's, I'll save that for a moment. Then, like you said, the police approach her outside of the doctor's office. She says no at first. And Noel had mentioned earlier in the episode as, you know, just the show trying to throw out some stats. He said 95% of raped victims don't report the crime is what he said. Um, I know you like to use the word survivors there, but that's just a quote that he used. And then they keep going. They show that she takes a morning after pill, which was likely provided to her by the doctor. And then, you know, we really get into the whole, you know, Felicity trying to push the pamphlets on her to go talk to the counselor, the health services counselor, which by the end of the episode, she does walk into that office, you know, obviously setting off a chain of events that leads to, she does report the situation. And then, you know, Zach is interrupted in the middle of class. Uh, Somebody comes in to take him out and to inform him that this has been reported. So, you know, we see this whole chain of events happen. She takes a lot of action in one episode. I don't know that this would happen in one episode in real life if, if, you know, if this this sort of thing were to take place. I, I imagine some people would take quick action. I think For a lot of people, it probably, if they do take action, would take longer than this. But again, they're trying to get this storyline out there and to a roughly buttoned up place by the end of this episode. So they have her take all of these actions, whether they're showing us her talking to these people or whether they're doing it in a montage. They're giving us a lot of information.
1: Absolutely. And it's one of the things that I think makes it very difficult for survivors to come forward is the reporting process Mm. and the reliving and re-traumatizing of someone who has been through an assault and then basically has to go through it in detail over and over again. So when they were describing
0: that process to Felicity and Noel, it did not sound like an advertisement for a survivor to go report it. I mean, it sounded arduous.
1: Yeah. So she's already... Sort of confided in Felicity. We note that in the last episode, they don't say the word rape. They do say it several times in this episode, but as she goes to the doctor, there are very pointed questions that are asked. And that exam that uh, she went through, I mean, obviously it has taken her some time to get there. And so she doesn't have to go through a rape kit, which is, again, not a very pleasant thing to have to go through and whoever the doctor is has to ask a series of questions and what we saw i think is a a very shortened version of what someone would actually go through i mean Mm -hmm. she did ask about alcohol she did ask her to detail exactly what happened but at the moment where julie says And then it was happening, and the doctor says, Then you were having sex. I don't think that happens. You have to go through it in excruciating detail, first with the medical professional. And then, if she was to report it to the police, who you notice are both men, Mm -hmm. you have to go through that process again, sometimes with a very hostile person (laughs) asking you what happened especially, again, 20 plus years ago, something like date rape with alcohol being involved, you know, they already said this is not something the DA would even touch. So there's really no formal legal action that she can take. When she does report it, she reports it to the administration, Mm -hmm. And that's a whole different process. Uh, And I think that is an easier process, you know, not having to go through the police. And presumably she reported it through health services, but then was going to have to continue with the student council. It was going to become public everywhere. So yeah, this is, it's a very difficult thing, especially for someone at so young an age, who, again, is not even sure whether it's her fault or not.
0: Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I'll come back to that last point in a moment. But again, because they're trying to get this storyline to a wrapped up place as much. Well, one thing that I do like about what this show does is that This will not be, even though they are sort of wrapping up this storyline in order to be able to move on from this and have not every single episode focus on this material only, this isn't the last that we'll see that Julie has been traumatized by this event. Like this will be coming up for her. She will be continuing to deal with this, not only for episodes, but for seasons. So I do appreciate that about this show. So when I say they're wrapping up the storyline, I mean... They're just getting us to a place where we're going to be able to talk about other things in the show, but this will continue to be a thread and a very important one for Julie's life as we move forward. But having said that the only way they can do that is if Zach confesses, like admits to it and can back himself out of the situation, because had he not done that, I can't imagine this would have been wrapped up quickly in any setting. You know, this is a he said, she said sort of situation. Alcohol was involved. This, I can't even imagine how often this happens. This is the type of scenario that they really do need to depict depict in a college setting because this, like I said, I can't imagine how often the administrators hear about things like this and, you know, we're seeing this play out with these two specific characters, but I imagine this would have dragged on a very long time. And they got out of that by Zach owning up to it. I have a lot of feelings about Zach, but the fact that he did that, I think, was more of a plot device here.
1: I do agree with that. I have a very hard time feeling that he goes from not having any idea what he's done, again, with the doe-eyed look, to being angry, to then just admitting that he did it and leaving. Yeah. Just looking at some more updated statistics, you know, they're saying that uh, anywhere between one and three or more likely half, uh, if not more, of all women will experience some sort of sexual assault in their lifetime. Most will not report it. So it's something that goes on quite a lot. And We had a whole series of these events happening across college universities and and actually getting the public attention that it deserved maybe five or six years ago. I think it sort of becomes cyclical. But I will say the university that we went to, there was a very public, I don't know what to call it, an event, I guess, where there was the he said, she said moment. And the woman who was involved took to social media and started a protest because she went through this whole process and the student council and everything, you know, she went through it and they refused to remove him from campus during that time. And it took so long and it was like a whole semester where she was seeing him all the time. And he was in a fraternity and his fraternity brothers were around. She didn't feel safe, so she actually left campus for the semester. And then she came back, he was still there. So she took to social media, as I said, and and had these protests with other women and getting media coverage during them. Eventually, he did end up leaving campus of his own accord. Mm-hmm. The university did not require him to do that. And they put in place, I guess, some procedures around this, but it certainly wasn't anything where I think it would have changed the outcome for her. Mm-hmm. If he hadn't had not left on his own. So... This is something that definitely continues to happen. And I do like the fact that we do have more support now and uh, more avenues to get media attention, but she had to go through a lot and she was representing a lot of people who had never said anything trying to make the campus safer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is something that would be long and drawn out, right? And very painful. And I, on the one hand, applaud this show for taking on this storyline, because I think, you know, we said last time, there wasn't a lot, there wasn't a lot of this type of coverage happening at that point. And with this show being set for college students, that is a very specific age group to target that not a lot of shows were trying to target. So this was an important topic to bring up. It was important to have it be a date rape situation and to have the murkiness involved and to start to tackle that. But, you know, they're going to wrap up the storyline quickly. So is it accurate? Could they have done better? Probably. Did they do something they did? And so I want to applaud them for their efforts and also acknowledge where it doesn't tell you the full picture. I mean, even as we see things like trigger warning, screens at the top of a show or at the, you know, the resources uh, that a show would share at the end when they cover material that's of sensitive nature. That's something that started happening later. But even at this time, I saw other shows that would have at the very least the actors and the storyline come on the screen at the end and verbally provide the resources and maybe flash it on the screen as well. So, you know, that wasn't something they did with this. They did give a lot of information though. They were really trying to educate in the context of what they could do. So I don't know if it ends up being an overall win or a loss. I think it's a win because it gets us talking about it and it was a topic that did need to be addressed and, you know, hopefully it opened the floodgates for more shows to talk about in the future.
1: I agree. I do think it's a win. Uh, I like that they had a realistic situation and looked at it from, from multiple people's perspectives. I think that the best scene was when Ben came in to talk to Julie. And I think that was just a really important moment for those who haven't talked to survivors of sexual assault, to see how to support someone. You notice that he doesn't tell her what to do. He doesn't even ask her what happened. He comes in and he shares his own story. He talks about his own experience in learning that what happened to him was not his fault. He makes her feel safe. And you, or at least I picked up, On the big difference between Zach grabbing her arm and Ben putting a hand on her arm. And it just being a really safe environment for her. And that actually giving her the strength to then report it. It is interesting that she is so alone a lot of the time, almost by choice. She does take Felicity to the initial doctor's appointment, but when she goes to health services, she's alone. And when she goes to confront Zach toward the end, she's alone. And you do see the very large difference in size between the two of them. He does stand up and and you see that. So I think there are some moments where uh, maybe the show doesn't give us the best advice on how to deal with things. I mean, you do not have to tell anyone anything that you don't want to. You certainly do not have to confront the person and you certainly don't have to do it alone if you're going to. It seems like that was her choice, but I almost feel like having some backup, you're, you're kind of watching someone go into a situation that could be violent so that's something
0: yeah I liked what they showed us with Ben I liked it for all the reasons because you know the counselor the health services counselor had told Felicity and Noel early on like just make her feel safe believer that's the best thing that you can do that was her number one recommendation for them and Ben's the only one really living that out and we also needed to see this from Ben. Not only did Julie need it from Ben, but we needed it from Ben because we've been really hinting around what his home situation has been for so much of the show already. And here he comes right out and talks about his dad's alcoholism. He talks about his dad's abuse. And we even see him circle back, uh, make a call back to like from the pilot, we saw Ben ar- having an argument with his mom. Uh, you know, saying, you know, I don't want to deal with this today, not today. And now we know why that was, because his dad had not shown up for graduation, like he hadn't shown up for a litany of other events that have happened in Ben's life. So Ben tells us really important information about him. We also see the way him getting a fight, a physical fight with Zach which I think is important to note about his character as well that he's he's got that pent up in him and that he's starting to see physical aggression as a means of uh, handling a situation um, and that was something that you were wondering about episodes ago we would see him going in that direction and he just he just did it you know this was i think the first time that we've seen him get into a physical altercation
1: and now, so I had a big problem with that fight Mm -hmm. though I felt that that was very manufactured I could see him certainly taking a swing at Zach but the whole thing where Zach says no no stop and then Ben has this line that says you know the difference is I actually stopped when you said no Mm -hmm. I felt that that was really artificial and I agree would not happen and it just I don't know Left a bad taste in my mouth.
0: Yeah, they sort of turned it into like he's making a point point. and knowing that this character will have more physical altercations in the future. That's not necessarily why he's doing this, you know, so I, I think I don't know if I needed them to make that point here. I think it's valid for us to see that this is a coping mechanism for Ben and it's not a pretty one. And it's something he's going to end up taking a look at further down the road. And it almost made it, you know, it was sort of like a savior thing. It's like, but is that really like, is violence a savior mechanism? <laughs> like, I don't know if that really puts, I don't know if that helps Julie. So, you know, I, I don't know that I needed that line in there, but I think they were there, they are setting up a pathway for Ben that, you know, they had to start it at some point. So I think it's I think it's worth noting that. But I also really what I did like the conversation that Ben had with Julie. You know, and I think it it has more payoff because we don't see him having a ton of these really deep, revealing emotional moments with a lot of characters. When he has them, it's usually with felicity. So for him to have this with Julie, that's a really big moment in their relationship. And you know, it's a time when she really needed it. You know, she didn't need him telling her what to do. But she was really moved by him revealing his story. And it absolutely paralleled to where she was for him to say, it wasn't me. It was him talking about his dad. When Julie pretty much just had a conversation with Felicity saying, this is the message I give to guys. You know, she's saying, this is on me. Like, this is partially, if not all my fault. And here's Ben saying, nope. It's not, but he's not saying it in a way that she can refute it. He's saying it in a way that makes her empathize with his situation and then realize very quickly it's her situation too.
1: Yeah. And one thing that I think is really important about that moment is Ben says that he had to get some distance. He had to put some distance between himself and his family in order to actually realize this. And then he's sharing that with Julie because that's not the experience that Julia's had. We don't know how many times this has happened to her. We don't know what the situations were. We don't know what age she was. What we do know is it's happened before and it's just happened. And so she has no distance from this. Mm-hmm. She has no time or space to reflect on... Whether it is her fault or not, and how much of this she should be taking on. So, I think education, which you mentioned earlier, is so important. I don't think we got a lot of education or had even shows like this. It it wasn't in the popular media to say that things like this weren't your fault. It was always something done behind closed doors. And again, you had to be really. Uh, You really had to understand reporting requirements and basically keep your mouth shut until you knew exactly who was going to be told about what, because the next steps weren't clear, as in what happens legally and do you have to see this person again? So I like that she comes to this realization that it's not her fault. I don't know if it's realistic to have happened in that time frame and after one conversation with Ben and maybe a conversation with the health services woman, but she's not surrounded by a bunch of people who are constantly telling her not just this situation isn't her fault, but every situation she's been in wasn't her fault. She's you know, not reading books about it and watching TV shows about it. I think that piece of education has been really important and is very different today than it was 20 years ago because the only people who were going to tell you it's not your fault were going to be behind closed doors. They were going to be doctors or counselors and you had to seek them out or somehow tell somebody in order to get access to them. It, it was not something popular that, that everyone was saying.
0: Yeah. I want to talk for a minute about Zach. I wanted to get your thoughts about him, Fish, because on the one hand, I appreciate, you know, that he's not like a mustache twirling bad guy. They gave him as much gray area as they possibly could. And I wonder if they did too much there. Because I don't understand him at all. But I also think that in real life, when things like this happen, it's not a mustache trolling bad guy all the time. So it's like, okay, I'm I'm glad they showed us this gray area. But you know, I look at some of the things that I saw from Zach, and I don't know who this guy is really. We know that he's Very inexperienced and very self-conscious about it from his whole courtship process with Julie up until this point. They've had a few awkward moments where he was like, Oh, I just I'm I'm I don't know what I'm doing. And they led to this moment. So we know that this is part of his story. You know, he was a virgin, but he was probably even, you know, beyond that inexperienced with sexual relationships. When we hear about the way Julie talked about this when she was reporting this to the doctor, he said that he loved her afterwards, which is basically gaslighting. Because here she was saying no, uh, and I don't want to have sex, and then he thinks this is a loving relationship. Like, where was his brain? Okay, they had they had some beers, uh, or they had something to drink, but. I'm really not prepared to put all this on that. I feel like I need to make Zach far more accountable to this because it sounds like Julie was very clear in that situation. And he still comes away thinking that, you know, it was appropriate to say, I love you, that it was appropriate to fall asleep next to her. He didn't use a condom. Has he never heard about safe sex ever in his life? To me, there's like a lot of gaslighting there to almost make Julie think that this was, a loving relationship and an appropriate thing for him to do, and then, like you had said, he goes to anger when he realizes that Julie thinks it's rape, and then he very quickly circles back around to you. Right, this was rape, and I'm you know I'm sorry for it. So it's like how deluded is this guy? He missed a lot of signs, and I don't know if I can excuse it or understand him to just the the blurriness of what they've depicted here. But I wanted to get. Some clarity from you, Fish. Like, where, what do you think about him?
1: I actually like the way that they portrayed him. Not so much at the end where he just says, Oh, yeah, like I did it. I think that, as I've said before, the move from like the doe eyed, What happened to, Oh, yeah, I definitely raped you way too fast mm-hmm. and without conversation with enough people that we see. But I do like, I guess, the gray area. I I don't know that I, I would so much call it a gray area, but I like that it's not a violent crime, that it is a date rape because most rape does happen and most sexual assault does happen from someone that you're dating or a friend or a family member. And these are people who aren't necessarily... It is okay to have a lot of mixed emotions when something like this happens, especially when it's someone who, let's say you have been in love with or that you did feel safe with, especially if it's happened multiple times and your perspective can change throughout the years. So I do like the fact that it wasn't someone coming up with a gun and just raping her because I think it's a lot more realistic. Mm -hmm. Getting into his head is a a bit of a scary place, but Mm -hmm. again, this is the nineties. All right. It's not the 1890s where, you know, if she's raped, then She's tainted for the rest of her life and her family disowns her and it's all on her. But as we mentioned in the last one, the 90s are really where the word no comes out as that's the definitive, this is a rape, you have to say no. But there still was quite a lot of the thought that women are supposed to say no and men are supposed to push it because that's sort of our role. As women is to say no, and then guys are supposed to, you know, they actually want it, and we just need to be the man about it. And so I think because of his insecurity and because of his inexperience, Zach probably has a lot of these, whether it's books or movies or guys he's talked to, telling him stuff that is completely incorrect. And has sort of a plan built up in his head about how this is supposed to go. And because she didn't scream and rip at his clothes and like kick him and that that meant that she really did want it to happen. I I could see that being the case. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a function of the time. And again, why I think education about consent is so important. And I like that, that that has happened over time, because I don't think that today, if someone said no, that as many, I won't say none, but as many guys in popular culture would say, oh, what she really means is yes. However, I will say, I don't remember where I saw this, but I feel like it was a fairly recent either TV show or interview. I just don't remember where, but it was a woman who was talking about a, really a girl who was talking about starting to have her first sexual experiences today. And the fact that so many guys are watching a lot of porn that the thing that he thought was going to really get her off was to choke her. And so that's how he started out. And she was like, I don't like that. But if you look on pornographic sites, that that is what guys are told women like. And I mean, I don't even know what to say about how guys are getting advice from porn on how they should be with women. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly, I don't think that's that's the best place to get your your advice. But what comes out in popular culture and whatever media that you get it from is going to be I guess what you try and what you believe Mm -hmm. when you don't have say a bunch of guy friends or older guy friends or an older brother or a father who talks about this or even a mother who talks about this with you you're going to go with kind of what you think you're supposed to be doing Mm -hmm. and so that's where I feel like he was in his head. If we are to actually believe that he went from, I didn't think I did anything wrong to accepting it is he didn't believe that she really was saying no Hmm. and that he should therefore stop because that's what women are supposed to do. And then maybe he thought she was into it because he was into it. And then it took him some time and once he reflected on it and realized how many times she had said no, and mm-hmm. he sees her actual reaction to it and the anger, uh, you know, and he's talked to his father at this point and to the administration, but now he's got a lot more knowledge mm-hmm. than he did before.
0: Okay. Well, you know, I'm coming around here. Uh, I mean, I think, I think regardless, I think it's important that it was such, you know, so many blurry lines here, because that's more often than not the reality, especially in a university setting. I do want to look at another storyline that we explored here. And you said up front, there were these fewer moments of lightness in this episode that that felt like a disconnect in tone for you. But, you know, let's talk about them anyway, in terms of what they gave us. I think there were a few little things that happened, but the biggest thing was that a prospective student comes to visit Felicity. Apparently she had signed up for this person to visit them some time ago. And this just so happens to be when story (laughs) arrives and it's not a good time for Felicity. She's, uh by proxy dealing with a trauma, which I don't know, Uh, okay. We just had somehow had to get this person in in Elena's room because that was gonna be the best thing that could have (laughs) happened. I don't know if Felicity really can't take this on right now but I'm glad that she didn't just to see what happened with Elena and story. Felicity just pawns this girl off straight away on Elena and she's like, can you by any chance take on this prospective student? She'll be fine, it'll be great. And then this girl is just club obsessed. As Elena <laughs> says later, she's looking through magazines, talking about all the clubs that she wants to visit because she's never been to one and she's so excited and she's trying to pick out clothes for Elena so they can go clubbing together. And uh, she's got a one-track mind, this Riley, even though she wants to be a cytogeneticist, she also <laughs> wants to go to a club.
1: You can want two things at once.
0: You can multitask in your wanting, and that she did. So I have been holding on to this for a few weeks now because I just learned something about this show that I never knew, and I don't know how I've missed it. But weeks ago, when I was looking at the writers, you know, I've been looking at a a Wikipedia page that shows me all the episodes from the season and who wrote them. And I realized that the writer, Riley Weston, is the person who played story. And then I looked into that a little bit more and I was like, oh, okay." so she was playing 16. Turns out she was either 31 or 32 at the time when they filmed this. And then I looked into it further and I don't know how I missed all of this, but apparently Riley Weston is stage name, I guess. I don't know. But she pretended... To be 19, I think she was, I think she pretended to be 18 at the time when the WB hired her to be a teen prodigy writer,
1: Wow! but she
0: was in her thirties and she just looked young and she pretended to be a late teenager to everybody in the contract process, everybody on set. They had a 19th birthday party for her on her 32nd oh. birthday. And then She played a 16 year old on this episode. And I think, I think I saw that she's worked on seven episodes altogether before they finally figured out what was happening in candor. I had no idea. This was the weirdest rabbit hole to go down because I just was like, oh, the writer was in this, huh? And then I was like, how old was this writer? (laughs) (laughs) I had no idea the can of worms I had just opened and that this was actually quite the story. So what a mess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting because I don't know if you have watched Younger, the show. It's a show that's on right now. It's about a woman in her, I think, late 30s, early 40s who pretends to be in her 20s and gets a job with a... I think a fashion magazine, given that she's and she's supposed to be like the millennial generation writer Mm -hmm. and she has a daughter and she just gotten divorced from her husband and no one will hire her because of her age. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, she gets hired as this 20 something and I think there's like four or five seasons of it. It's a great show. You should check it out. But it's interesting that they fired her. I mean, wouldn't that be age discrimination?
0: Well, I can't say I've dug all the way deep on this to know all of the aftermath, but she was released from her contract, even to the point where um considered to be a teen prodigy, she was named to EW's 1998 list of the 100 most creative people in entertainment. She was definitely bringing back attention to the WB and they didn't keep her on. So I, you know, I don't know legally how it all worked out, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of looking at her credits after that time. And, you know, she has continued to work. It didn't make her unhirable. I imagine it was a story that got some really bad press for her. And she, I don't know, maybe had a harder time getting the work later, but I don't know. She seems to be still active. So
1: Seems I just like can't even did believe, a good job.
0: yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I've seen a couple of sort of articles and, you know, interviews about this from her, or at least quotes from her, where it's like, well, you know, there are other people who've lied to get a job in this industry. So it's like, well, it's true. Well? <laughs> like, That's absolutely true. So your mileage may vary on whether you think this was a, a very ingenious move or a, uh, <laughs> like a a level of deceit that goes beyond the pale, I don't know. I was totally not prepared to find all of this information about such a side note. And I will say that she's really believable as this 16-year-old, you know, I just want to go clubbing prospective student who falls in love with <laughs> Megan over I cannot, I can't believe it's not butter spray. <laughs> That, I can't believe it's not butter. I mean, if there's one way to Megan's heart, we know
1: it. I was all about, you know, her and and Megan just bonding and wanting to go out. Obviously, I didn't know any of this backstory. I I did find her to be sort of a trope, I guess. The annoying prospective student that comes up and just wants to go out and do stuff. Because I did go visit colleges and pretty much we went out to one college party and then we went home and went to sleep and mm-hmm. then i left the next day because it's not three days met the coach of the water polo team and i'm trying to remember if i practice with the team or not but that was pretty much it well this might uh, provide
0: some context this backstory about story because There were a couple other little things that provided lightness in this episode, but nothing to the degree that we've seen in previous episodes, except for this. And they carved this in probably to feature a teenager that they thought they were giving an opportunity to. So she was credited as the main writer on this episode and given an acting credit and This is her, let's see, I'm trying to think, this is her first writing credit, and not her first acting credit, but certainly one of them. So they thought they were giving an opportunity by carving in space for this plot. And they, you know, gave it time in this episode to be the thing that would be lifting the mood a little bit. And they gave us moments like Elena saying, I'm relinquishing custody of the party animal. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, we got to get a few fun lines out of it. You know, Noel, uh, story commenting on Noel's goatee and him realizing, oh, I really do need to get rid of it then. <laughs> so she was a device to allow for some comic relief in a heavy episode when there weren't a lot of other devices like that. They had the goatee
1: I feel like the real star really was the goatee. Mm-hmm. Uh, R.I.P.
0: nose, Nose goatee. I mean,
1: that was I mean, gone too soon. It was soon. not good. It was, <laughs> it was not good. It hadn't grown in yet. So, like, I'll give him that. Maybe he looks amazing with a goatee that's actually grown in. But it was at that awkward stage, uh-huh. and I would have loved to have seen that in a different episode, because. Men and their facial hair is something that I just love to comment on Uh and generally hate. And I was ruined in this one because I couldn't find it funny. This is Mm -hmm. a guy who was supposed to be playing a pivotal role. And we see him like picking at his face, looking in a mirror. And it's like, that is not what you should be doing right now. And he's supposed to be having serious conversations and you just can't take him seriously this with this, you know, two day old goatee trend. I mean, it. I, well, I think and it it's it, also it a bizarre. little
0: jarring when you finish part one on this to be continued, this very serious, like fade to black, go quiet, Felicity and Julie in Julie's room and Felicity realizing Julie has been raped. And then we open on Noel growing a goatee and talking to Guy about it, who isn't, I don't think, named in this episode, but Guy is a character we will come to enjoy.
1: My goodness. I love him. He's Mm -hmm. actually in Frasier, which is one of my favorite shows. And he has quite a few episodes in that, and he is hilarious. So when I saw him, I was just like, oh, it's the guy from Frasier.
0: And he's called Guy. Yeah. We're going to see more of him, uh, especially in this Great. season. And this was just a first glance at him. Not huge. You know, this was not the point of this episode, but it certainly is interesting to me that they chose to start it on this particular note. I guess they had to if they were going to weave anything comic into it, they probably had to start with something like that. But it, it is a little like if we had a week between watching these ourselves, as would people who were watching it real time. So maybe that distance, you know, if you were binging this, it might come off a little bit more false.
1: Yes. But I also like to say, other than maybe a, a thin mustache, is there a worse facial hair feature? that you can bring out in a rape story than a goatee. Mutton chops? I feel like mutton chops you can laugh at kind of like a mullet, Mm -hmm. but this is viscerally creepy to have either the thin 70s porn stash or like a goatee that has not been grown in yet. I mean, it was not only awkward, it was creepy for someone who was supposed to be doing something very serious So I think this could have been hilarious in another episode. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually really mad that they put it in this one because it just kind of, not only did it ruin what could have been a great whole story arc about this goatee. It also just made the episode all that more upsetting.
0: Yeah. Well, one other small comic I guess, point that came across was the bits with Sean. We've seen a new invention from him. He's working on a disposable camera vending machine. This is not going to be the last time we see the disposable camera vending machine. I will say that as somebody who does small business marketing and who works with small business owners, I am shocked at the number of inventions he has going at one time in various states of development. I'm not sure how realistic that is. Uh, I think, you know, it's quite a process to get one across the line. But, you know, I enjoyed that we got to see that. I enjoyed that this, you had commented last time on the you'll get it theme that they have in that apartment. And so we heard that again this time from Ben, I think, where they just, every time it's it's like calling shotgun when you get to the car, it's like, you'll get it. (laughs) Uh You know, whoever says it first doesn't have to get up and stop what they're doing. So I guess those are a couple of the little things we saw, but otherwise they really did try to keep this one to the main theme that they were dealing with.
1: Yeah, I also feel like, Those vending machines were actually a thing. I'm pretty sure that when I was traveling, I could go and put some money in and get one of those. And I remember like opening the plastic for them. So I actually think that at that time was a pretty good idea because phones were not taking pictures so much. Now, if you had an actual camera, like Ben points out, fine. But the places that Sean was going to put them, like wedding receptions and things like that, I actually thought that is, I think, the best idea I've heard from him so far.
0: And uh, I think and it'll I think be it was... something that has more legs than the other yep. <laughs> inventions, given that it's not the last time we'll see it. Um, yes. Yeah, I think there's something to this. So it sounds like you might potentially think about backing it
1: <laughs> uh, time, way back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> at the time hindsight's 2020 we didn't know that everyone would have a camera in their phone but the other thing i picked up that i really enjoyed so when elena comes to drop off the 50 year old story (laughs) she's talking about how she was awake at 2 a.m and story had picked out her clothes because you only live once (laughs) i'm sorry yolo moment Right there (laughs) happened. I picked that up.
0: Okay, yeah, they were ahead of the curve, this Felicity.
1: They were. (laughs) Well, you
0: know what? That you maybe we can credit the writer Riley Weston (laughs) for you know knowing that having a finger on the pulse of what would happen in the future as a teen. uh, (laughs) My goodness, I can't even believe that storyline.
1: And again, you have to watch Younger now because. That is the actual plot, and she goes through all the things that this woman apparently went through in terms of, you know, how is she going to hide it, and what happens when it mixes up in her real life, and what happens when certain people find out, and what happens with her career. So if anyone is is at all interested in that, that plot twist, I would highly recommend younger, and uh, it stars Hilary Duff. Who doesn't like her?
0: Very good. Well, uh, we did get a tape from Sally in this episode. So shall we do our What Sally Said, What Sally Meant segment?
1: I think it is about that time.
0: Perfect. Well, as we all know, we usually we open the episode with Felicity giving an update to Sally through a tape, and then we get a tape back where Sally says whatever she feels she wants to say in response, but Fish knows what she really means. And so here we go. She said, Dear Felicity, it's amazing how we blame ourselves.
1: Paper Dolls by Sierra de Mulder. We are taught from the moment we leave our pink nurseries, we are collapsible paper dolls, light to hold, easier to crumble.
0: You know, When John died, I was a wreck. Certain that somehow, cosmically, I'd caused that accident.
1: That as a woman, our worth lives secretly, wrapped in lace and cotton panties, our fragility armored in pepper spray and mace. They say one in three women will be raped or sexually assaulted in their lifetime. I am one of three daughters.
0: It's probably just human nature to try to make sense of things, random
1: things. Imagine each victim is an acrobat, her sanity a balancing act. Our response is the unfailing safety net. We never expect to see her across the wire. You weren't just violated, we tell her. You are an empty museum, a gutted monument to what used to hold so much work.
0: I think the scariest part is realizing that sometimes bad things just happen. No reason, no purpose, they just occur.
1: With best intentions, we tell her to reclaim it. Put a price tag on her rape and own it. Don't stand too tall. Don't act too strong. We will name you Denial. Come back when you are ready to crumble, like your bones are made of chalk. You can only laugh cutely or cry beautifully. So cry beautifully.
0: And we're left to pick up the pieces.
1: We will catch you. We are calling it theft. As if he could pluck open your ribs like cello strings, pocket your breasts, steal what makes your heart flutter and tack its wings to the wall. Some days you will feel dirty. Some weeks you'll remember how hard it is to breathe in public, but know this, the person who did this to you is broken, not you.
0: I guess that's what we're all doing all the time.
1: The person who did this to you is out there choking on the glass of his chest. It is a windshield and his heartbeat is a baseball bat. Regret this, regret this, nothing was stolen from you. Your body is not a hand-me-down. There is nothing that sits inside you holding your worth. No locket that can be seen or touched, fucked from your stomach to be left on concrete.
0: Just picking up the pieces the best
1: we can. I know it's hard to feel perfect when you can't tell an Adam's apple from a fist. Some ashtray of a man picked you to play his Eden, but I will not watch you collapse.
0: Hmm. Well, that was nice. So, what was that from?
1: Yeah. So there is this amazing slam poet named Sierra De Mulder, and this one just really blew me away. Uh, obviously, I didn't <laughs> didn't do it justice. And she has some lines that I don't know if she either ad-libbed or, or changed, but she's really talking about the reaction of a person and society to sexual assault and what we're telling girls when, when they are survivors of that assault. So she does it herself, and I would encourage people to go and listen to her uh, and actually listen to her do it as slam poetry since I am not a slam poet and therefore I'm not able to, to hit those beats and she has some very nice sort of moments and arm movements and pounding on her chest when she's talking about the baseball bat and the windshield so yeah I just found it to be a very moving and timely piece that I I think Sally would want to share
0: Yeah, that was a really nice touch. And I think it's worth reiterating once more as we get towards the end of our podcast episode here just that resource we shared up top for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, RAIN. You can find them at www rain.org rain with two N's r a i n -N n.org we'll have a link to that in the show notes and also they have a national sexual assault hotline which you can reach at 1-800-656-4673 for those who need it we wanted to make sure that we had a resource for you here you know fish i think this is a good time to talk about our ratings for the episode you know I'm, i'm a little mixed on it because i'm so glad they did it They didn't do it perfectly. So I guess regardless of my rating, I want to give them props because I do think they deserve it. But I'll, you know, I'll give my rating on this one first. I've been really going back and forth on this. First of all, I'll rate this one in party animals
1: because that
0: feels appropriate for one of the storylines we got. I'm going to give this one 6.7 party animals. Execution wise, it was a little bit rough. And I think I, it's hard for me to watch this without thinking of the types of things that we do today to provide more resources. And, but I also understand, you know, it's like 6.7 with a star because thanks for doing it, Felicity. You know, like, I, you know, I'm really glad that they put it out there. So my, my rating in terms of execution has nothing to do with whether I think this is a valiant effort. I think it was important. I think it was good to have a conversation going. Just don't think it was a perfect episode.
1: I can see that. I, I also agree it wasn't a perfect episode, but given the time period and given what resources were out there at the time and the really closed door nature of rape and uh, sexual assault and being ashamed and stigmatized by mm-hmm. it and having this be about date rape I think, was very important. And I also just really enjoyed the scene with Ben supporting Julie. Uh I think we got a live example of something that was very effective. And they didn't wrap it up with a bow. She didn't go to the police. He didn't get arrested. Yes, he did leave at the end, which I think was a little less realistic. But I also think that would have Dragged the show into at least a month or two of just this plot line. Mm -hmm. So I think they did the best they could there. And him leaving on his own in a month or two probably would have been the outcome anyway. I mean, that's my guess. I don't see him walking around with Ben on and Daryl on his tails, feeling particularly safe himself on campus. So for everything that they did do, And I think they did do well and right. I'm actually giving it a nine out of 10 gloves.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, there you have it. Nine out of 10 gloves from fish, 6.7 out of 10 party animals for me. Uh, I also want to give an honorable mention here to Felicity's eyes, Carrie Russell's eyes when she was telling, but not telling Ben. My goodness, (laughs) I don't even know what that would have looked like in the script, what they were trying to tell her to do there. But Carrie Russell, man, she's good. She just conveyed everything without a word. So that was really impressive to me.
1: I actually had something on eyes as well. Just wanted to mention, if you go back through this and look at it, look at all of the times people aren't making eye contact. And the few times they are Mm -hmm. there is so much shame and protection of oneself where julie does not make a lot of eye contact even when they're just talking about it other female characters are not making eye contact zach at the end and then there are these few moments where people are really intentionally making eye contact like julie when she confronts zach Mm -hmm. Uh, And they are sort of moments of strength, I think, even though she does then drop her eyes. But out of every episode so far, I think this is the one where people have looked at each other the least. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think it needed to be in the script. Mm -hmm. I think just the subject matter lends itself to us pulling inward and not making eye contact or those emotional connections and opening ourselves up as we're talking about something that is so vulnerable. So I thought that was very realistic and really gave an overall tone Mm -hmm. uh, to the episode.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. And once again, I wanted to say a huge thank you. I mean, we mentioned his feedback up top, but a huge thank you again to Kevin for that great feedback coming from the standpoint of somebody who's worked with RAs. For those of you who have any feedback or comments or questions or any full city fan art you want to share, we would love to hear from you. You can reach us at themelissafish at gmail.com. That's Melissa with one L, two S's, themelissafish at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram. We've got a cool group of people we're we're meeting there. Um, Reach us at Felicity Podcast and find some of the stuff we're posting there and connect with us. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested in being kept up to date when we drop a new episode, you can check out, we have a newsletter that we send out as soon as the episode drops or is available. And you can find a link for that in the show notes, as well as the link for Rain. Yeah, those are those are some of the main notes. We absolutely love getting feedback. We so appreciate meeting people who love this show, and we've got a fun little stretch coming up of episodes here. The next one is Thanksgiving, and yeah, I I think it's an episode that uh, I'm I'm hearing from people that they like in general, and so I'm looking forward to digging into it and seeing what's ahead with this one.
1: All right, that's exciting. I mean. If I couldn't have the Halloween episode that I wanted, maybe I'll get the Thanksgiving one.
0: I think so. I mean, I think this is going to be a proper, I mean, I I think they tend to do like proper Thanksgivings. There's always plot that's mixed into it, but freshman year Thanksgiving is a particularly fun one. So we've got some excitement ahead for the upcoming episodes of Felicity, but Fish, before we wrap up here, is there anything else that you wanted to mention?
1: Nope. I think we got it all.
0: All right. Well, we did. We got it all. So until next time, fish, don't hook up with Ben while I'm gone.
1: I'm a fish. Bye. Bye, everyone. Wait, was that supposed to be Noel? Don't hook up with Noel?